Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 8th, the Secret Twins edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I am the father of Leo, who is three and a half, and also of Eliza, who is seven years old. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom in absentia to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Today on our show, we have a question from a mother who is scared to send her son to camp for fear that he will encounter sexual abuse. We also have a question from another mom whose solution to the problem of dirty stuffed toys is potentially coming back to bite her in the ass in fascinating ways. Uh, plus, as always, we'll have triumphs, we'll have fails, we'll have things to recommend to you. On Slate Plus, we will take a third question. So many great questions this week. Uh, this one about the eternal problem of teenage boys and hygiene. Triumphs and fails. Uh, Carvel, why don't you tell us, have you triumphed or have you failed? I've done both. And uh, today I'm going to tell you about something that I, I think it feels to me like a failure. It happened just this morning. I was driving Georgia to school. We we're making small small talk, and somehow I don't remember how this came up. The discussion of dress coding came up, which is a thing to be dress coded at her school is to be cited by a staff member for failure to follow a series of dress code situations. And like, and and so I've known about this for a while, and that this happens, and it's not something that Georgia typically runs into because she doesn't like she pretty much wears jeans and a hoodie every single day. But uh, she initially told this story about a friend of hers who was dress coded and how she was frustrated because there's these three eighth grade girls who dress in violation of the code all the time and they never get dress coded. And Georgia was specul- was wondering if race had something to do with it because the three girls are like white and, the- and her friend is black. And so we were having a small discussion about that. And then she started unfolding to me more about the dress code. And then she explained that um, like the details of it, which I sort of knew but had forgotten, were that girls can't wear – like anything that shows their belly button and they can't wear like spaghetti straps and the the shorts have to be longer than your like where your fingers are when you put your hands to your thighs and Georgia was like and I have long arms and that's you know that's but um and then she was like but then she was like but then boys play basketball with their shirts off all the time and no one says anything and I got so mad like I got so pissed off and I just was like maybe it's because like I had a deadline last night and didn't get a lot of sleep but I was just like what the fuck is that what the fuck is that that makes no sense <laughs> she was like yeah I know that it's fucked up I was like no it really and we were literally cursing like this is like middle school <laughs> and I was like what like what is that like what you know and uh she was like yeah it's like it's really messed up and I was like god I, I swear to god man I I just I just was so mad and she got out of the car and whatever, and I just was, like, still fuming over it. And it just – I don't even know where to begin. It begins at the beginning, but it's a fail of our society, 
You know, it's like a fail of everything. It's like, what is that? What is that? And 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 the way that kids are dress coded at this school just depends entirely upon an individual teacher choosing to cite you in a moment because they have a personal opinion about what you're wearing. And the, the enforcement is all over the board. And this the the even the the double standard itself, boys and girls. And she was like, there really aren't even dress codes for boys. Like, there's none. None exist. And I just was like. So mad, and I'm still mad about it. And so it's, I don't know if it's a personal fail, but it's a fail for our society, and I'm fucking pissed off about it. Totally. There was a great editorial in um, my local high school's newspaper, The Talon, a couple of years ago, written by <laughs> a girl who I believe at the time was a junior about this exact thing. And she did not hold back, and it was awesome because also at my local school, dress code is sexist. Uh, teachers will say it's to keep other students from being, quote, distracted in their learning environment because of what, you know, you, always girls, are wearing, and it's total mm-hmm. bullshit. It really pisses me off. It is exactly the opposite of the message that, you know, we're trying to impart at home. Like, you know, it, it, it's really, it's totally bullshit, and it is a societal failure. I 100% agree with you. And the problem is the inegalitarianism, is that right? The problem is that it's applied very differently to boys and to girls? Yeah, it's it's applied. There literally is no dress code for boys. So, Mm -hmm. like, she was, when she, I mean, because I I remember now that we started talking, we were talking about hats and, like, why hats are banned in school. And we were going back and forth and talking about, like, I was, like, I was in a feisty mood. I was, like, that's bullshit. That's arbitrary. Like, what the hell? She was, like, well, hats are disrespectful. I was, like, but why? Why society? I, like, I was, like, I was that guy this morning. This is one of uh, the ones where you can react a little too closely to the adolescent brain. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but then uh, but then when she got to the part about boys playing, taking off their shirts to play basketball, I was like, what is that? Like, what is that? How can you how can you say girls can't show a belly button, but boys can be shirtless at school? Like, what what is that? Someone explain to me what that is. You know, it's just so. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, Rebecca, what about you? Triumph or fail? Um, I've got a little baby triumph, and I believe we have a little audio file so that you guys can hear about it. Teddy, where are we? Uh, we are in our laundry room. Why are we in our laundry room? I want you to wash my sweatshirt. Why? Because it's nasty. Because I wear it all the time. <laughs> so you want me to wash this one thing? Yes. So that you can wear it when? Tomorrow. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Pick up that sweatshirt. Put it in that machine. Go above the machine. Grab one of those Tide Pods. And eat it. Don't eat it. Stick it in the machine. Close the door. Turn the machine on. Put it on normal casual. Hit start. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, baby triumph. I taught Teddy. (laughs) I did not fall into that trap of, yes, I will wash your dirty sweatshirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. I, I taught remember, a boy to fish. I remember being at my, <laughs> I remember being at my cousin's apartment when I was a teenager. I was staying there for a while, and I was like, "Oh, I need to do some laundry." And she's like, "Oh, yeah, the washer dryer's in the garage." So I, I went and put him in the garage, and I was like, "I can't figure out how to work this. Can you come show me how?" And she didn't know how to work it. And we were like fifteen, and a bunch of our <laughs> friends were around, and she was so embarrassed. Like it was a. It, she still brings it up occasionally. So now you have saved Teddy from being that kid who doesn't know how to work the washer dryer in his own house. 
Yeah, this actually has happened with uh, happened with Henry, too. And it came in handy because when we were dropping him off to move him in in his D.C. housing, you know, they have to do their own laundry and he knows how to do it. But it turns out like a lot of the kids didn't. And so this morning, you know, today's a snow day. Teddy's. Today. Yeah. Yeah. Teddy's at home today because it's a snow day. And um He's like, oh, it's a good opportunity to wash my disgusting sweatshirt, which I wear every single day. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. This is, this is it. We're taking a stand. So that's how that happened. And uh, I'm certain I'll probably end up washing it again myself a few more times. But, you know, he's at least had his start. Great work. Um, I have a fail. And this is a fail that falls into the category of like when you have to judge whether a kid is sick and shouldn't do an activity or not. And and you just don't have enough information to make that judgment. Over this weekend, uh, my wife was away. She was out of town. So it was me and the kids for the whole weekend. And I had this whole plan for Saturday afternoon because Eliza got invited to a birthday party that was in Coney Island, which is like an hour on the subway. And, you know, there's only one of me. And so I was going to take Leo on the subway with us. And then we were going to go to the aquarium. And I there's another dad who has a kid in each of the two classes and his kids were going. So me and him were going to take the little ones to the aquarium while the big ones were at the birthday party. And it was very carefully worked out. And it was going to take up like our entire afternoon. Like I didn't have to think about what we were going to do on Saturday because we had this whole schlep and this whole business. And it was going to be a thing. It was going to be tiring, but it was going to be an adventure. And we wake up and she's sort of sniffly, but she's fine. And then it's like time to start getting ready to go and I get everybody dressed and I start like doing the last stuff, making sure everybody is peed. And she says, Dad, I don't feel well. I don't want to go. And it's really (laughs) clear that this could well be just laziness, like that it could well be just natural resistance and disinclination to go outside, especially when it's like not very nice outside. Um, but she's been a little sick before and like, are we going to do it? And maybe I'm going to bring her and she's going to be the one who is like feverish and roomy and like sneezing all over all the other kids and everyone's going to be mad at me for that. And I said, are you really sure you really don't want to go? And you know, this means you'll miss the birthday party and you won't get cake and you won't get like a goodie bag to take home and you won't see all your friends. And she's like, yeah, I really, I just, I really don't feel well. I just, I really think I should just stay home and lie on the couch and read. So we stay home. And we stay home the whole day. Like it's me and the two kids and we're inside the apartment the entire day. And of course, like 20 minutes after we were meant to leave on the subway, she's like jumping up and down on the couch and like getting her brother worked up and like running around chasing him and tickling him. And I'm like, what the hell? You're supposed to be like sick and sitting on the couch and recuperating. She's like, oh, yeah, sorry. Um, And it was the wrong call. And what can you do? And I thought, well, at least like most of the punishment goes to her. It was a tough day because of being cooped up inside. But I thought at least she's the one who really gets punished because she misses the birthday party. And then yesterday I picked her up from school and she was like, guess what? The person who had the birthday party brought in a special goodie bag just for me because I missed her party. (laughs) And she's like going through on the bus and showing me all the like, here's the candy ring and here's the bouncy ball and here's the flashing light. And um, so it really worked out really well for her and and set up some terrible incentives for future birthday parties. So uh, (laughs) I made the wrong call and I am mad about it. That's it. 
Um, Gabe, my mother-in-law told me an amazing story about my wonderful husband when he was like in second or third grade that he pulled the same thing. The little kid across directly across the street was having a birthday party and he said, I don't feel well. I can't go. And his mother said, you, know, you have to go. You know, you got to go over and just at least try. She thought he was just, you know, BSing. So he comes back about 15 minutes later with the older brother of the kid and he's carrying the gift and he's like, oh, mom, I told you I wasn't feeling well. And the older brother here, he brought me home. And and she said, yeah, but you can't bring the gift back like that belongs to the, the birthday boy. And apparently what he was doing was just trying to keep the gift. <laughs> Nice, nice. So yeah, I don't. I don't think that that's what your daughter was doing. I'm not accusing her of that, but no. I guess this is not a super uncommon thing to do. No, it's weird. You would <laughs> think that, that like, who good. doesn't want to go to a birthday party? But there are kids, and I think I was probably one of them too, for whom like just going out of the house is just a pain in the ass, and mm. if I stay inside, <laughs> it's a lot better. Um, and look what kind of adults we grow up to be. Wonderful. <laughs> look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Time now to do the business. Uh, as always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at momanddadatslate.com. Uh, also, I would like to let you know about another of Slate's great podcasts. Have you ever checked out Slate Money, a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance? It features Felix Salmon, Slate's columnist Jordan Weissman, and political risk consultant Anna Zemansky. They talk the week's financial news from Uber to Herbalife to hedge funds. Check out Slate Money every Saturday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, on Slate Plus today, we're going to answer a whole nother question from a whole nother listener. If you want to hear that segment and get an ad-free version of this and all your other favorite Slate podcasts, uh, sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support the show. Just $35 your first year. In return, you get extended ad-free versions of this show, other great Slate shows, and a ton of other great benefits. So if you want to help us out, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. This question came to us over email. The question is from Terry. It's being read for us by Slate Science intern Alex Barish. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I am the mom of twin boys age nine. My husband and I have been planning to send them to sleepaway camp for two weeks this summer. But as the registration date approaches, I'm feeling increasingly anxious about having them out of my sights for that time period. And here's the main reason. I'm worried about child sexual abuse. I was not a victim of such abuse, but I know many people who were molested as children, and it has affected them for the rest of their lives. I grew up in a Catholic parish where it was later found that one of the priests was sexually abusing the altar boys. I've looked into the statistics on child sexual abuse, and although the estimates vary, the numbers are shocking. Yet I don't want my boys to miss out on an experience that would most likely help them learn teamwork, love of the outdoors, and leave them with an increased confidence and independence. I admit I am an anxious person at baseline, but I've tried hard to not smother my kids or make them feel the world's a scary place. They're happy, active boys and get along pretty well. They adopt to new situations easily, and I wouldn't expect for them to have a problem with two weeks away from home. 
My question is this. How do I prepare them to respond if someone attempts to touch them in a way that makes them uncomfortable? How do I educate them about good and bad touch without giving them more information than they're ready to hear? At this point, they know babies are made from egg and sperm, but we haven't gotten to the description of intercourse. I don't want them to arrive at camp feeling wary of the adults around, but I figure since Carvel and Rebecca have older kids, they might have addressed this already and have some good tips or resources. Thanks so much, Terry. First off, I would say, if I knew you personally and you asked me this question, to you take a leap, send your kids to camp. Um, the benefits of summer camp, um, you know, my kids spent have spent two weeks of summer, uh, Teddy especially still at 15, going to a wonderful YMCA run summer camp for boys on a lake. And it is, as you suspect, a transformational experience. They um, come home, especially after the first year. They've had that set of independence. They make friends outside of their immediate circle. Camps, for the most part, um, I can't speak to the specific camp because I don't know what it is that you're thinking about, um, you know, sending your kids to. But for the most part, you know, all the camps that I considered for my kids and the one they ended up going to are exceedingly well run and the kids are really well supervised, but have just enough of a sense of freedom to really get a sense of that sort of independence and um you know, that feeling of sort of being out in the world away from home, it can really, really be a wonderful experience for kids. I understand your fear. And my instinct is to tell you what I always thought about when my kids were little is that bad things happen to kids a lot. Sexual abuse is shockingly common, as you probably know from the reading you've been doing. And it can happen in all kinds of situations. It can happen at a sleepover. It can happen with going over to a friend's house after school. It can happen with a relative, a babysitter, a family member. It shouldn't stop you from having your kid enjoy the experiences that you know would benefit them. And when it comes to communicating that, and I think your kids at nine are old enough to really have a real conversation using real language about how to say no about how to go and tell and understand what predators do and predator behavior and the kinds of things that um, a kid is likely to hear if they're abused, such as don't tell anyone or I will hurt your mom or dad. Like you have to have these real conversations with your kids. You have to use the real words in describing their uh, body parts. You can't just say bathing suit area, private parts, bum. You have to be specific when you say, you know, don't let someone touch you on the penis. Don't let someone touch you on the butt if touching makes you uncomfortable under your clothes um you know say something walk away find another adult tell them what happened and just be comfortable knowing that they can probably handle that conversation and they're probably maybe not going to take it as you know seriously as as you do when you have it with them but if you have it frequently enough, if you sort of weave it in to conversations in a way that doesn't feel like an epic come to Jesus thing that they just want to forget ever happened, if you make it sort of a part of your discourse, if you ask them questions about their agency and their body and, and you let them talk about those things at home regularly enough, they do develop a sense of ownership of their privacy, of their body, of uh, of boundaries. And, you know, I can speak for my kids 
when I tell you that like neither one of them has ever come home and said that something specifically made me uncomfortable. But they have told me that people have made them uncomfortable, that they've gotten vibes, that they've felt, you know, I wouldn't, you know, when I was in this situation, I just made sure, you know, I always want to bring friends with me or whatever. And we talk about it. And we talk it through because it's really important. But I, I think it's a mistake to just wrap them in bubble wrap and never send them out into the world because of your anxiety around this issue. And I can't speak to a specific resource, but perhaps that's something uh, we could maybe check into and post some links on the Facebook page around a great mm-hmm. book um, or, or something. Carvel, do you do you have any ideas around that? Yeah. Th- yeah. No, I think exactly what you said is right. And there is a good resource. It's it's uh, the name's escape. Oh, rain dot org r-a-i-n-n which i forgot what it stands for but um and also the department of justice i know whatever forget their branding but the department of justice actually has a pretty good page about talking to children about childhood sexual abuse and one of the things that everyone does recommend is starting the conversations when the kids are young um using the specific names of body parts uh letting making sure kids know that certain parts of the body are private letting, making sure kids know that it's okay to say no and probably one of the biggest things is like making sure talking to your kids a lot about secrets because secrets are the way the kind of like vehicle by which these situations you know predators use what kids what they think kids understand about secrets is a way to buy themselves space and um I think overall, in all of parenting, one of the most important things that uh, I that I feel like we have learned is that you have to constantly behave and interact with your kids in a way that allows them to feel like they can talk to you if something is serious. And that's something that I know Joe and I keep in the back of our minds all the time um, because, you know, it's for, partially for stuff like this. Partially, I've said this before, like we know that as they go into adolescence and and their interactions with the world start to kind of like outweigh their, their daily interactions with us, we know that there'll be situations that they'll encounter where they will have to make a decision between staying in what is potentially an unsafe situation or calling for backup from us. And if we haven't done years and years of establishing that they can talk to us if something is serious and that we prioritize their safety over everything that's over like yelling at them that's over t- you know like punishing them that's you know if we have made sure to establish that then our our bet is that in those situations they're more inclined to reach out for help if they feel like they need it and i think that's a big part of what this experience is about too um you know i i agree with what rebecca said especially about the the bubble wrap thing because um this does this can't happen anywhere and i i mean this is my own personal experience it happened to me in places where i think people didn't expect it and it's terrifying and it's horrible for parents to think about that and yet the logical conclusion is that you can't keep your child from every situation in which something like this is likely to happen. And I don't think it's more likely to happen at camp than it is to happen in other places. Uh, Or not much more. Not so much more so that you can't send them to camp. And I think that, and I also think that just thinking practically, tactically about the situation, how do you explain to two kids, nine-year-old kids that want to go to a summer camp, that everyone, uh, that their friends are going to, that they're excited about, how do you explain that you're not going to send them? 
without having this conversation. So the reality is you have to have this conversation anyway. This is a conversation that should be had. And our squeamishness about it as parents doesn't serve us or our kids. We have to be upfront about it. And um, I I also would advise if you were my friend um, that uh, it's that that you can send your kids to camp. Um, you know, if to whatever extent you can be a part of the camp experience, at least to be a face or name that is known. I don't know if that's going to the like, and it sounds like you're a pretty active parent. And so you'll probably do this anyway, but you going to the orientation, meeting the staff, making sure you, they know you and you know them. That's all helpful. I mean, at the very least, it's helpful for you to feel like it isn't this unwieldy black hole over which you have no control, which I think is the, really the kind of underneath fear that we have as parents when we send our kids to camp. Um, I think that's helpful to do. But I, I think, you know, if you are reasonably sure that, that this is an OK situation, you should send them. The other thing I would, you know, I always think about talking to other people and I would talk to other parents, too, whose kids have gone to camp years prior, if you ever were to do that, you know, again, just to set yourself at ease about what the positive aspects of this are. We sent both of our kids to sleepaway camp. Georgia, we sent to sleepaway camp when she was very young. She really wanted to go. And she was actually like, because her birthday is in August, she was actually like just under the age, but they decided to allow her go because the counselors knew her and Ezra was there. And they knew that Georgia kind of sort of like was mature anyway. And uh, I just the other day, I was flipping through old pictures and I saw the picture of when we sent her. And God, she was such a little thing. And it, 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 of course, it was terrifying on some level to send your kids into what you know is... Yeah, again, it's a place you have no control, and that really is what it's about, and that's terrifying. Um, but it, that camp for us was a part of a community of parents that we knew and people that we knew and that we knew families who'd been sending their kids there for decades. And so we were able to have some measure of comfort. So I would say also whatever to whatever extent you can build those connections would be helpful to you as well as to your kids. Yeah, I think that's the the really interesting thing about this letter is the degree to which the letter writer is just fixated on, on summer camp as the place where sexual abuse happens when we all know that sexual abuse happens all over the place um, and happens in the family and happens in schools and happens with friends and happens at a birthday party and can happen wherever. And um, it, it makes me think that what's actually frightening about summer camp is is – that like it's sending your kids away from home for two fucking weeks. They're nine-year-old boys. That's really scary. Like when my kids go away for two weeks, I'm going to be really nervous about it. And I, I'm going to wonder all kinds of things that might happen. Um, it seems like you've maybe fixated on sexual abuse as like the bad thing that happens. Um, and maybe it would help to broaden your ideas about what kinds of bad things can happen <laughs> to them at summer camp and to broaden your ideas about what kinds of places sexual abuse can happen to them. Because in a way, the world is scarier than you think. But then in a way, the world is less scary than you think because most 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 kids go away to summer camp and have a great summer and, and do not get um, molested or, or sexually abused. In terms of things that you might say to your kids about that specific fear, um, Carvel and Rebecca have said most of what I wanted to say. The phrase that I've I've heard that you should use is like secret touches as opposed to good touches and bad touches because it might be that like, look, I'm tickling you. That's a good touch. But uh, if you have to keep it a secret, then it's a secret touch. And that's something that you need to tell your mom about or tell some other grown up about. Um and then the other thing that I've heard is that it's important to remember that you shouldn't let anybody else make you touch them, that it's not just about grownups touching kids, that often uh, sexual abusers tell the kids to touch 
there, the abuser's genitals. Um, and parents' warnings often sort of leave that out, maybe because it's too gross or scary or whatever. So um, there's a lot of uh, disturbing stuff that you, again, have to tell your kid about in a sort of straightforward way. And, and maybe it would be helpful to try to talk about it as straightforwardly as you can and, and with as little with a, as much plain and, and straightforward language and as little sort of panic as you can uh, possibly muster. But um, – Hopefully it helps to remember that what you're actually scared about is them uh, growing up and going away as well as um, the dangers of adult sexual predators in the world. Uh, Maybe that helps or maybe it doesn't. But good luck and I hope your kids have a great time at camp. Can I just add one thing, yeah. uh, Gabe? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that she said was she talked about her anxiety, right? And I grew up in a house with a very anxious mother. And, you know, thinking about what you said, Carvel, about secrets – I didn't tell my mom anything growing up. And bad things happened mm-hmm. to me, too. And I never said a mm-hmm. word. I still haven't to this day because yeah. my mother has, like, a lot of anxiety. And I know that it will frame a lot of conversations we have for the rest of my life if it comes up. Because that anxiety is something that I think kids learn to avoid triggering. They mm-hmm. learn to avoid um, not you know saying things or doing things that they know will send their anxious parent uh, into a state of anxiety because that state of anxiety can often mean consequences. It can mean punishment. It can mean yes. sheltering them from things they want to do. So kids do respond to that. And you know when I had kids, I think I felt some of those feelings starting to creep in when my kids were babies, and I just kept thinking to myself over and over and over again. You know, do I want to have kids that I pass along this kind of anxiety to where they feel like mm. they then don't want to do things or try things or talk about secrets and so forth? And I think that, you know, I, I figured out I succeeded in that when um, Henry at, uh, recently, I don't want to say too recently, but, you know, uh, in the last year or so went to a high school party. And the next day called me and told me that he had uh, he'd been drinking at the high school party and wasn't feeling well. He didn't know what to do. And he was like, I know that we need to have a bigger conversation. But right now I just need to know what to do because I'm really sick. And I was like, I feel like I did my job because. And you were like mm-hmm. hair of the dog. Yeah, well, I was like gr- grilled cheese sandwich, frankly. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, you know, it's like I wa- that phone call meant so much to me, and yeah, it triggered some really meaningful and I think really productive conversations about choices and responsibility and all that stuff. Stuff that was timely because it was happening around him in the moment and. Even like the kids who make the best choices, like Carvel said, find themselves in situations where they then, you know, are facing things that they didn't know they'd be facing. But the fact that he called me, I don't think it would have happened if I hadn't made the conscious choice to try to overcome those feelings of anxiety and letting my kids be letting my kids activities and the choices I made for them be guided by those feelings of anxiety. So I'm not saying it's wrong to be anxious. Um, and I understand that that's something that you have a limited amount of control over. But just think about what you are teaching when you in, in, infuse your decision making and the things your kids are allowed to do. And they're colored by the anxiety that you sort of o- overtly express around them. It's, it's something that I think is worth thinking about. I agree. And it might be worth looking to talk to a therapist or to talk to somebody about the anxiety separate from the particular question of sexual abuse. Yeah, I agree. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for another question. This one is from an anonymous mom who called us on the phone at 424-255-7833. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. This is an anonymous mom, and you'll know why I'm anonymous after I ask my question. This question is in follow-up to the Binky episode last week, which I totally loved. Um, my kids are at an age now where it's been a long time since we had binkies, but we had a strategy for getting rid of them that worked really well until now. When they were six months old, we took away the binky and we replaced it with a comfort object, a stuffed animal. But I was terrified that we would lose the comfort object and then be in a world of hurt, so we bought a secret twin of each of their stuffed animal lovies and rotated them over time. So every time the uh, special friend got too dirty or too disgusting, we would just swap it out for a fresh one and secretly wash it. And this was great because they both aged at the same rate and we had a backup in case of emergencies. The problem is that now my kids are old enough that if they found out that their special friend had a secret twin, it would be a major soap opera style betrayal reveal. So I don't know what to do. Do I keep this a secret forever? Do I tell them now and let them have both of the lovies because they're old enough to understand that sometimes your teddy has to get washed? Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. But again, love the show. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work. Bye. (laughs) I mean, let them know that, I mean, it's it's not going to, I don't think, I don't think you need to be anonymous about this. I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, I I think, I mean, it, it is, I think this is actually a really good strategy. Our kids had only the one lovey for each of them and, yeah, I mean, it was rough. It, like, that's a brutal situation to be in for a period of years because then every time one goes, something goes haywire with one, now all of a sudden you're in this, like, you know, 17 hours of hell while you get everything reorganized. So it's nice to have another one. But I think it's fine. I think let them, let them, let let the twins reunite. Let Tell them that they're long-lost twins. They were twins in the womb. They were separated at birth. And now they're together. It's a beautiful thing. It's just wonderful <laughs> when one is out, the other one is to play with, and they play with the other one. You know, and, as, and, and I mean, as your kids age, I mean, you can also explain that we did that because we needed to. Because sometimes one of them gets dirty and disgusting and covered in, like, pasta juice or whatever, and we need to wash it. And so there's another one. So, I mean, I I, I personally wouldn't I – th- I do think it does create a problem to have, like, twin stuffies because now it's like now we have uh, attachment <laughs> issues with two things instead of one. So it is doubling <laughs> your trouble, but you're there now. You can't – there's no unringing that bell. So I would think that, you know, if, it's, if, if you think they're going to find out, then you might as well just – as as the PR people say, get ahead of the story. I, mm. What I love about the question is um, I have to remain anonymous because I have just pulled off this brilliant parenting coup and I wouldn't <laughs> want anyone to know that right from the very beginning of my kid's childhood, I was so on top of things that I had this marvelous solution to the washing the stuffy problem. Um, I, you, you know, I... I I think the real question here is do you whip out the backup stuffy like for comic effect? Do you like is this <laughs> like an awesome candid camera style <laughs> prank that you play on your children? I think you probably shouldn't but I would be very very tempted to do that. <laughs> the one other thing is I bet they already know. 
like mm-hmm. kids know about their stuffies, and this mm-hmm. one has a little mark over here, and sometimes it's like scuffed, and sometimes it's not scuffed, or the thread is coming yeah. loose, but it's not coming loose, but it is coming loose. Something's going on. They don't know exactly what it is, and they would be surprised <laughs> to learn that there was this sort of stuffy switcheroo going on. But um, I think it might, well, if you if you show them the two stuffies, it might actually resolve something that has been quietly gnawing away at them from the inside uh, for a long time. And um, that might be a reason to do it. What do you think, Rebecca? That's a, uh, I, that's a really I totally point, disagree though. with both of you guys. I have to say, like, I am really, like, not on board with what either one of you have to say on this. I think if your kids are still at the age where they will feel horribly betrayed by this incredibly pragmatic and loving strategy you put into place, it's not time to reveal the secret yet. Just don't reveal it. Keep it hidden. I don't see any upside <laughs> in uh, having them feel <laughs> potentially betrayed at all. It's like, let them learn it on the streets, just like they learn about Santa Claus not being real. Um, you know, I, I feel like I was really lucky. Henry's comfort item was one of those Carter's waffle blankets, which came in eight packs, and he always knew yeah. there was a pile of them, and so like we were able yeah. to like you know have one in his stroller and the other seven in the laundry all the time. But like I know that it isn't always the case. My best friend Amy, her daughter had a horse named Fatchy that was discontinued by Gund, and they had to like search oh. on eBay for like six months when oh. something happened to that damn horse. So I know it's a real thing. I'm not discounting the realness of it, which is why I I don't think I would do the reveal until uh, they get older and get to a point where it wouldn't be a devastation. I don't know. Unless you're like really bad at hiding stuff. Come on. How how hard can it be to hide like a little stuffed animal? Come on. I don't know. I disagree with you guys on this one. Sorry. No. Wait, how old are these kids again? We found out. We got follow-up from the the caller. How old, Ben? uh, Remind us how old were the, uh, was the children? Producer Ben here in the booth. I texted uh, Anonymous Mom and she replied, um, to say that, hi, they are nine and six, but intensely practical kids. Both asked so many tough questions about uh, Santa Claus by age five that we had to tell them the truth. Similar for Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy. Also, I forgot to mention my call that when they were little, I would tell them I used mommy magic to give their loveys instant dry showers to clean them in emergency situations. So the lie runs deep. <laughs> oh, man, come <laughs> On. Yeah, this is a tangled oh, wow. web we weave type situation. Yeah, yeah. This this person has painted themselves into multiple corners. Yeah, it's all I think catching it's time up. To I think it's, yeah, it's all catching up. It's, I think it's time to wipe the slate clean. I really do. I think you're in too deep. It's nine and six. You're through the looking glass you're at this point, deep. and you you, you can't. You know what I mean? I think I think the only way to to save yourself is to blow this whole thing up. At nine and six, they should be fine knowing that there are multiple stuffies, and that's the way this operates, and that's part of what makes parenting a logistical, you know, magic thing that we do, and we're always thinking, I love, maybe this is just my own ego, but I love, like, pulling back the curtain on on my parenting stuff for my kids so that they know that I'm actually working here. Like, I'm not just sitting around... You know, like just being their dad, like like I'm doing something, I'm I'm trying to do a thing, you know, and this comes up a lot. Like sometimes I'll be like doing something, Georgia will have an anxiety or a fear or something and I'll start to like work, do my thing, you know, I'll start to set up the thing and ask the questions and get the feedback and reflect to her. And then Ezra will burst in the room and be like, dad, why are you doing that? Blah, blah, blah. You're just lying to her. And I'll be like, Ezra, I'm doing a thing right now. I'm I'm parenting. (laughs) Just just take notes. There's there's a system here. The thing where the older kid comes. 
comes in and busts you doing a thing on the younger kid happens every single time. I'm always, I'll be in the middle of some complicated thing of trying to get Leo to like put on his shoes. And I'll be like, I'll I'll, I'll be dealing with the tantrum and dealing with the behavior and also trying to move him forward down the road towards putting on his shoes. And it's a very intense kind of psychological project that I'm working on. And then Eliza will come along and be like, Leo, I'll give you one dollar if you'll put on your shoes now. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> I had him right where I wanted him. Oh, yeah, and the whole thing is exploded. Yeah, no. It's so terrible. You're uh, revealing yeah, how much me, like our it, kids are like our bosses, right? Because what you described, Carvel, and like, I'm doing a thing. Here's my thinking. Yeah. Here, it's sort of like what you do at work when you're <laughs> anticipating like the questions about like why you made a certain decision. So you send the email, and you're like, "Here's what I'm going to be doing." And for some background, here's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> I to do it. <laughs> totally. The thing. That, okay. Yeah. The thing. The the one thing that does seem potentially troublesome about exposing the the twin Stuffy's ruse is this. These kids, when a kid attaches to a stuffy, the stuffy is like magically alive in their mind, even though they know that it's actually just an object, right? I I remember being sure. a kid and having an involved relationship with the teddy bear, even though I was not confused as to whether the teddy bear was really alive or not, right? And if you say like, okay, this object to which you have attached all of these feelings and have this whole relationship that feels like a relationship with the living thing outside of yourself, even as you know it isn't. If you say, look how much this teddy bear is only an object. Look at this. There's another identical one. And some of the love that you have been putting into the teddy bear, you were putting into another teddy bear. The love that you think you've put into this one object, you've put into two objects. That might have like broken my brain in some way. Like it, it would have been a really like confounding revelation for me. So that's the that they're seems not, like the downside. They're nine and six, though. I mean, I think if, <laughs> I if slept with that teddy bear until I were twelve. If you, if, I, I was twelve I mean, years old when I gave three, up that teddy bear. If they were three and they were still wrestling with like the nature of like physical reality or something, yes, this would be akin to like revealing that there's a glitch in the matrix. It would blow their little minds. But they're nine and six. I feel like at this point, they already know Santa Claus is a ruse. They already know the Easter Bunny is a ruse. Hopefully they don't they don't believe this thing about mommy magic. I feel like these kids are ready. And and uh, I mean, I don't know that you have to reveal it, but at the very least, I, I would go so far as to say you don't have to fear anymore the revelation should it come about. All right. Great question. Really like this question. Really want to know what happens. Get back to us, uh, secret anonymous mom with the magnificent strategy <laughs> with the stuffies. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Time for recommendations. Rebecca, do you have a recommendation? I do. And I apologize for the self-promotional nature of this recommendation in advance, but I feel like Carvel opened the door for this a few weeks ago, so I'm just going to do it too. <laughs> wow. Um, if, you want to, <laughs> if you want to get to know uh, one of my kids a little bit, uh, my son Henry, before he left for his DC adventures, was a guest on my silly podcast about HGTV. Uh, he watches an episode of Flea Market Flip with me, where moms and dads, uh, moms and sons, compete on teams against each other to turn trash into less trashy trash and sell it at a flea market. Um, the show is called HGTV and Me. It's really an episode in which Henry plays a starring role, and he's. Very dry and very funny and very Henry. And if you've ever been curious to hear a little bit more of what he sounds like, uh, you can check out that episode of HGTV and Me. It's called Flea Market Flip, Trash Treasure, and a Good Morning America host. That's what it's called. Nice. And we will put a link to that episode nice. on our Love show it. page and our Facebook page, which, by the way, is facebook.com slash group slash mom and dad are fighting. I'm going to recommend a movie that many of you have probably seen that's a popular animated movie from the well-known animation studio Pixar, but which is maybe not one of the ones that's in high rotation in a lot of houses with kids. It's not one of the Cars movies, which I watched the first one the other week, and it was just terrible. But um, we watched <laughs> we watched Ratatouille on Saturday instead of going mm. to this birthday party. Ratatouille uh, is so good, man. Wow. There is, are no yeah. songs in Ratatouille. There is no, like, it doesn't have any of the bullshit. Both of my kids from seven to three and a half were, like, engaged with it and invested in the story and thought it was funny and thought it was scary but not too scary. And, like, the dad doesn't die. I was sure that the dad was going to die and was, like, making excuses <laughs> for the dad dying. But then he doesn't die in the end. Um, like I, it's uh, the three of us, all of us really got a ton out of it. Um, Ratatouille by Pixar. It's great. Carvel, what about you? I'm going to recommend, uh, an app from that was super popular in like 2012. And then we recently re-downloaded it and got back on it. It's draw something. The app from Zynga, which was like, went crazy popular for like four months in the summer of like 2012 and then fell off the face of the earth. But the app is an interactive uh, game app where you draw something. That's it. You get suggestions. Uh, like you, you get to choose from three things that you want to draw. And then it's like a puppy, a dog, uh, you know, like a, a whatever, like a spaceship. And then you just draw it and you get a, you get a slate of a palette of colors and you get sort of pens of different sizes and you can erase and then you just draw stuff and then you send it to your partner and they try to guess what it is that you're drawing and so you they get to see you drawing it not in real time but sort of a sped up sort of video of, of like your images appearing on the on the screen and then they do the same for you and then when you guess right you get points and they get points etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's just a simple fun game that uh that we were really into back in the day or I was and then and then my kids were a little young for it, although they used to watch me play it and, and we'd like talk about how to draw stuff. And it just it weirdly reopened drawing in our house. Like I like now I'm drawing stuff, just doodling and I don't know. It's just like I drawing is the one thing that I never felt like I was any good at. And now like it's just uh, it's cool to just be able to like reaccess that part of my mind. And uh and the kids love like teasing me about how we <laughs> we draw stuff and their stuff is actually pretty good um and so you know every every kid growing up goes through that phase where they learn to draw something you know you learn to draw a spaceship you learn to draw like a horse you learn to draw like a and, and you're so excited and you just draw it everywhere and you can't wait well this game is sort of like the the a, a, a great version of that and because of the colors and because it's digital your stuff always ends up looking kind of cool and so i'm recommending draw something 
Awesome. Carvel, I just sent you an invite to a game on Draw Something, an app I also oh, yes. love very, very it. much. And yes. the, the way that my kids play that game is they try to draw the most complicated thing where they put the clue in <laughs> to what the thing is at the yeah. very end. So you have to watch yeah, this yeah. like super elaborate video. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when they get older, super yeah. Game. You- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. When they I, when when people get older, then the game can get even more interesting because then you get to do like conceptual stuff and like wordplay and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. Uh, and that's our show. If you have a question that you would like us to address, you can call us at four two four two five five seven eight three three. You can tell us what you thought of the show on Facebook dot com slash Mom and Dad are Fighting. Uh, our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth. We will see you next week. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.